0: Good evening from the Free Energy Studios in beautiful downtown St. Louis and welcome to Cryptique, your free one-stop source for the paranormal, hidden history, forbidden knowledge, conspiracy theories, cryptids, you name it, we've got it. I'm joined as always by a man who doesn't keep up with the Joneses. He drags them down with him. Ryan, what's up? (sighs) That's good. That's not bad, actually. That's a valid approach. <laughs> that's the way to do it. So what what's new, man? Did you get to watch that Halloween movie?
1: No, no, I didn't. I've been too busy. Halloween's been good for the bar, so oh, I've been there good. a lot. People in costumes showing up? Not yet. People dressed kind of different, but, you know, a lot of Halloween-related stuff, a lot of Nightmare Before Christmas or Friday the 13th stuff. We are planning on doing a big... Uh, like costume contest and i'm gonna see tomorrow if i can license rocky horror to show oh god <laughs> it's a good and party movie. the world is here <laughs> it's a good party movie because it's you know it's halloweeny and is it you just you don't have to watch the plot you can just tune in for the music and whatever everybody likes it
0: uh, no i wouldn't go that far all right, apparently it. you don't like it <laughs> It's awful It's the worst cult classic movie ever mm. But you're right A lot of people do like it I'm thinking I might go Rorschach this year like, like from, from Watchmen? Watchmen? Yeah
1: That would be really cool I've, I've seen masks on Etsy before That are like thermal They react to the heat of your breath So they, yeah. the mask actually moves That would be really cool Anyway
0: Yeah what do they need to know?
1: The wonderful folks out there need to know that they can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, pretty much anywhere you can get that. They can... Spotify. Good. So we're pretty much anywhere. You can
0: subscribe. You can get in contact with us. Where can they do that? CryptiquePodcast at gmail.com. Just send us what you want to hear about. We've got kind of Halloween-y stuff uh, planned until uh, the beginning of November. And then we've got some guests coming on that are pretty interesting that will be released probably the first week in November and then either the second or third week. But you guys really helped us out recently because I know a lot of you shared on social media and we saw a huge uptick in listens so please continue to share on social media share with your friends don't just tell somebody about them send them a link people are lazy and they don't want to look stuff up or anything like that but if you send them a link they'll click on it and then you guys will have something amazing to talk about right right absolutely (laughs) so happy early halloween or happy halloween depending on when this comes out but uh what are we talking about tonight?
1: Tonight we are talking about the true story
0: of Friday the thirteenth. An incident where Well well hold on. Let's let's not just I'm sorry, let's not just say we're talking about Friday the thirteenth. We're talking about Friday the thirteenth, Halloween, and the after party will be the true story behind screen.
1: Okay. So go ahead. We're talking about an incident where two 15-year-olds and an 18-year-old were slaughtered by a knife-wielding maniac in 1960 on the banks of Lake Bodum in Finland. Uh, one camper, also aged 18, survived, but the killer was never found. Play some Bodum. I'm sure
0: you've heard of him. No, sir. You will. Alright, go ahead.
1: give me a sec my headphones are beeping at me they're out of batteries although these just take replaceable ones so let me just just go pop some
0: in sure and we're back we're joined by ryan a man who has to take the batteries out of his vibrator and put them in his headphones just to do the (laughs) podcast (laughs) it's a great personal
1: (laughs) sacrifice in the hit horror movie Friday the 13th, teenagers camping by Crystal Lake become the victims of a crazed serial killer. The chilling slasher flick spawned another 12 movies, which took $350 million at the box
0: office, plus a spin-off TV series. That's not bad, is it? No. No. Jason is one of the most iconic characters, along with Michael Myers, and they don't do shit. Well, they do mm-hmm. shit, but they don't say shit. There's no depth mm. of the character, but it's interesting that Yeah, people just eat that up. I prefer to see a little uh, humanity in my villains, but...
1: I think it's more of a modern thing that we want heroes to be, you know, kind of flawed and villains to be kind of relatable. Yeah. I don't know. But was the brutal murder of three teens beside a Finnish lake nearly 50 years ago the real inspiration for the films? Although the date wasn't Friday the 13th, the similarities between the murders at Lake Bodum and Crystal Lake are chilling. On Sunday, June 5th, 1960, two 15-year-old girls, I'm going to do my best here to pronounce these, Ermeli Bjorklund and her friend Tuliki Makiwer were camping by the lake with their 18-year-old friends, Seppo Boysman and Niels Gustafsson. In the early hours of the morning between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m., an unknown attacker with a knife brutally murdered both the girls and Seppo. Nils, the only survivor, was found unconscious at the scene with a broken jaw and a concussion. A handful of suspects were questioned by police, including a local kiosk keeper called Carl Valdemar Gilstorm, who had frequently expressed irritation about campers. Although there was no evidence, he took his own life by drowning in the lake in 1972 and in a suicide note confessed to the crime. Police later dismissed the claims as his wife said he was asleep in bed at the time.
0: And before we go any further, so I've done a little bit deeper research into this, but we couldn't really get too in depth for this podcast because we want to cover a lot of stuff. But Carl Gillstorm, when, when we say a local kiosk keeper, he basically, from what I understand, worked at or near the park and actually sold like camping supplies and stuff. So I don't understand why he was irritated by campers. That would be like, you know, Bill Gates saying, "Uh, I hate having to mess with people buying computers," you know. Amy and our next suspect, Hans Assman. Yes. Ass man? yes. <laughs> I don't want to laugh about
1: this, but Assman.
0: I'm sure there's another way you're supposed to say it there every podcast it seems we get an ass man or a topless or you know just these weird names so if you are just out in the world and you come across somebody with a name like some of these just remember you heard about them in cryptique you might want to stay away from them yeah No, oh, no these don't belong to me i'm uh, i'm not the ass man i think there's been
1: a mistake What's your name again? Cosmo Kramer. Cosmo Kramer. You are the ass man. Mm
0: That's (laughs) awesome. So Ryan, are you an ass man or a titty cat? I'm the ass man. There you go. The ass man KGB spy who had recently moved to the area from Germany and was rumored to have turned up at a hospital covered in red stains after the killings. You would think that hospitals are required to report to the police any... Like stab wounds or bullet wounds or anything like that, and wouldn't you think like, hey, you show up covered in red stains? We need to take a closer look. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not just you... going to be like, oh, it's six in the morning, seven in the morning when he showed up covered in red stains. I mean, I, I would like to know what happened behind that. As far as, eh, they're just red stains. You know, no, no don't big worry deal. About it. Yeah, that's a little odd. Although, I
1: don't know. I mean, blood turns brown when it starts to dry. It doesn't really stay red. That's
0: very true, too. So maybe he was able to explain it as being like, yeah, it's not, I don't know. Yeah, it's paint or something like that. And that would be more believable at six in the evening or noon or something like that. But, you know, when you show up and you're like covered in red at six in the morning, yeah, I was getting an early start on the living room today. I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. But Hans Assmann confessed in a suicide note, but police dismissed his version of events as they believe he was in Germany at the time. So far, we have two confessions and the police are like, nope. But we always see, or at least I always saw in Exploring Evil, that... They take so many false confessions and so many coerced confessions and stuff. It's just weird that they're like, no, you confess, but you didn't do it. I mean, you would think they'd want to close the case. And I guess it's good, you know, that they did their background and were like, no, this is a false confession. But well, and so, this is the Finnish police, too, right? Right, right. So kudos so maybe to them, just a little I guess. Different. Yeah. Uh, investigators were unable to find the murder weapon and found several baffling items missing from the tent, including keys to the teen's motorbikes, which were still at the scene. Ermela was stripped from the waist down, although there was no evidence of a sexual assault, and Nils' shoes were found hidden a quarter mile away. Kind of weird. In a bizarre twist, sole survivor Nils, who claims he remembered nothing from the attack, was arrested over 40 years later in 2004 now married with children he was put on trial and it was revealed that blood on the hidden shoes matched the three victims but there was none of his own so we said that he had broken jaw he had a broken jaw and so and a concussion the prosecutors speculated that he had fought with Seppo, who had broken his jaw, and then he had murdered all three in a drunken rage. They, Oh, so he did have stab wounds. They claimed his own stab wounds could have been self-inflicted after the event. So that is interesting. If he did have stab wounds, too, and had no blood on his shoes... Uh, I don't know. That could mean a lot of things. If if they were in the tent, maybe he didn't have his shoes on. Maybe he said it, you know. Maybe his shoes were muddy and he left them outside the front of the tent. I've done that before camping. So, but the jury acquitted Nils, who was then paid thirty thousand pounds compensation for mental suffering caused by the remand. Hmm. The creators of Friday the Thirteenth have previously said the series was not based on a true story, but there's no doubt the unsolved massacre at Lake Bodum bears some chilling similarities. What about Friday the 13th?
1: Considering Friday the 13th as unlucky dates back hundreds of years, with the tradition said to have begun in the Middle Ages or even in Biblical times. Some say the superstition arose from Jesus' Last Supper, where it is thought that there were 13 people present on the night before his death, which occurred on a Friday. One of the most common stories surrounding the origin of the superstition was when thousands of crusader fighters were captured and tortured in France in 1307 on Friday, October 13th. In his Canterbury Tales, Geoffrey Chaucer also referred to the unlucky day, saying that starting a journey or a project on a Friday is bad luck. And according to Thomas Fernsler, I think that's how you pronounce that, (laughs) a University of Delaware professor, the fear of the number 13 comes from it following 12, which is seen as a safer number. 12 is seen as a more complete number, and there were 12 apostles, and we have 12 months and 12 zodiac signs. As a result of the fear of the number 13, many buildings and hotels, such as the Carlton in London, skip having a 13th floor entirely. The number 13 is often associated with witchcraft, as it is deemed the number of witches you need to form a coven. And actually, earlier this year, I was in Florida for a wedding,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I stayed in an Airbnb that was like in this giant condo building right on the water Uh and i noticed that it didn't have a 13th floor either
0: were you on the 14th floor no i was on like the 17th floor yeah never stay on the 14th floor if there's not a 13th floor (laughs) because that's the real 13th floor i wasn't there a movie or a show where like part of the plot
1: was that people found that there really was a 13th floor on this building oh i'm sure and it was like totally i don't know it was like Abandoned and creepy or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up.
0: I think CERN is on the 13th floor. (laughs) Down. I'm going to tell you how Jason Voorhees inspired a real serial killer. And we're going to be discussing an article written by Jennifer Lind Westbrook. So, Jason Voorhees, the hockey mask-clad killer of Camp Counselors and many others in the Friday the 13th franchise may have been the inspiration for a real serial killer in Wales. In this case, we're talking about the reverse. We're not talking about what inspired the movie. We're talking about what some people claim the movie inspired. The original 1980 slasher film is about grief-stricken Pamela Voorhees who terrorizes and murders a handful of teenagers at Camp Crystal Lake to avenge her son's drowning. Subsequent films reveal Jason is alive and a homicidal maniac who continues his mother's killing spree. The films span over three decades, making it one of the most enduring and highest grossing horror franchises worldwide. The movies have spawned a TV series, novels, video games, and comics. Victor Miller, who created the horror film icon, combined the first name of his two sons, Ian and Josh, and a girl he knew in school whose last name was Van Voorhees. I don't know. Would you want, like, a homicidal serial killer character to to have your name?
1: Not particularly, but Ryan is not the most threatening name in the world, so I think I'm probably pretty safe.
0: Probably true. Friday the 13th may have inspired a cinema owner in North Wales, Peter Moore, to stab and mutilate four male victims over the course of three months in 1995. The Man in Black, Peter Moore, Whale's Worst Serial Killer, written by Moore's former attorney, Dylan Reese Jones, outlines details of the case. And should your former attorney be writing a book based on your alleged crimes? That kind of seems like a conflict of interest.
1: It's almost as bad of an idea as when O.J. wrote the I Did not Do It But If I Did book.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. That's (laughs) unbelievable, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Unbelievable Initially Moore confessed to the crimes But later pled not guilty Blaming the murders on a fictitious lover and a restaurant worker named Jason Who Jones and the prosecution Believed to be based on Jason Voorhees According to a Mail Online article Jones said Quote Moore certainly knew a lot about the cinema And would have known about the Friday the 13th franchise And one of the films had come out Shortly before the murders started it may well have been an inspiration for Moore. Certainly, we all thought of it as that." End quote. Lord Carlyle of Berryview, the lead proce- should I say? Lord Carlyle of Berryview. The lead yeah. professor on the case said quote, "We started looking at some films, and there was a film series which Moore would have seen or shown, an episodic film showing someone who killed people.
1: I like your pronunciation, though. You can almost hear the flourish of your hand as you, like, make the announcement (laughs) act as a herald for this guy.
0: Well, I I mean, the way it's presented, like, he would have known about... Yeah, no shit. Everybody knew about it. It's not like it was some 1979 artsy-fartsy Russian movie. This was a worldwide (laughs) explosion. And certainly everybody pretty much knew about it, right? I mean... It's not like you have to be a cinema owner to have heard about Friday the 13th. And it wasn't the first film, which was a huge success. So, you know, if it was the first film, then I could say, okay, well, yeah, you know, maybe not everybody knew about it or whatever. But it was the, it wasn't the first one. So the first one was a huge hit. So everybody mm-hmm. knew about Jason. But- right. Each film had six episodes in circumstances which were certainly strikingly like the ways in which Peter Moore carried out these murders. Moore was found guilty and is serving a life sentence. Moore admitted to other violent acts spanning a 20-year period which can't be blamed on Friday the 13th. But was Moore the only serial killer who was influenced by horror movies when committing his crimes? Perhaps not. Here's another good name for
1: you. All right. In 2001, a Belgian truck driver named Thierry Jardin. uh, But this individual donned a ghost face costume, the same from the movie Scream, before stabbing a young woman 30 times who spurned his romantic advances. In 2012, Texas teenager Jake Evans shot his mother and sister after watching Rob Zombie's Halloween three times the same week. The Purge, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw 4, and American Psycho have inspired other heinous killings. A 2017 article in the Washington Post addressed the debate over whether horror films incite violence off-screen. The piece cites a study that acknowledges copycat violence is possible. However, economist Gordon Dahl, I was so prepared for a weird name, Gordon <laughs> Dahl, I psyched myself out, and Stefano Delevina conducted an analysis that indicates these types of movies tip the crime rate in the other direction. Dolan Delavina hypothesized that people capable of committing criminal acts are drawn to the theater when a violent film is released, which deters them from committing assaults. During a panel at the 2007 Tribeca Film Festival, director John Carpenter stated,
0: real life causes this. Fake life does not cause it. So, in my humble critique opinion, these people that are committing these crimes, I think that they can be kind of pumped up over something like this, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like, I don't think that a normal person is going to watch one of these movies and be like, I'm going to kill people. I think that a killer may watch this movie, uh, you know, whatever movie and say, I'm going to put on a Michael Myers mask when I do it. I don't think that the movie causes people to commit these crimes right i mean yeah that, i that would be like saying like oceans 11 is responsible for <laughs> people that rob a casino you know what i mean
1: yeah i yeah i feel like maybe maybe it's like obfuscation you know if a i want to commit this crime anyway if i use this movie mask then that kind of muddles the pool of people to choose from
0: yeah yeah
1: because there are millions of people or billions of people by this point who've seen these movies and know these masks and these characters. And by doing that, I kind of add to it. Like, maybe it's a random thing because in the movie it was random. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it's, right. I don't know. Maybe it's just a convenient way to kind of hide it. But I, I have trouble saying that movies or video games inspire real violence because, like these economists were saying, it it seems like they generally don't. It seems mm-hmm. like they kind of provide an outlet for people who might otherwise act out in a violent way. Yeah. I used to watch this show online called Zero Punctuation. They did like video game reviews. I think they are mm-hmm. still around actually. But I remember when one of the first like big news stories came out about one of the Grand Theft Auto games. Yeah. You know, they're trying to ban it or whatever cuz it's inspiring real violence. Right. He he comes on and he's saying like You know, do video games really inspire violence? He's like, short story, no; long story, no. (laughs) (laughs) And he's saying, like, you know, using a gun or you know, running somebody over in Grand Theft Auto is about as far removed as my ass is from the dark side of the moon. (laughs) Nice, but I mean, and he's, but he's,
0: that's true. Is it? I I don't think necessarily that movies or video games inspire people, and certainly not Grand Theft Auto, but you know, more realistic first person shooter games desensitize people to the violence. I don't think that they make people go out and necessarily shoot people, but I think that most people, if you shot somebody, I mean you would be destroyed. People aren't, unless they're in the military or, or or, you know, they're like real life gangsters or something like that. Most people haven't seen violence like that. But when you have some of these games, they give a really realistic portrayal of what happens when someone gets shot. And I think that it can desensitize people to that. So that's where I stand on it. Not a cause, but a desensitizer.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think that's something that's kind of... Problematic, and I've said that for a while too. I don't know that I've said it on here, but I've said it on Movie Howl that you know, I think it's really strange that you can show like any kind of violence on TV, you can show like a mangled dead body, Mm -hmm. but you can't show like a nipple. (laughs) Yeah, you can't show that, but you can show something that you would never see in your daily life, like that would be. Horrifying and life changing if you actually came across it. Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's very weird that sex is the thing that we're really afraid of, where sex is a natural thing that almost everybody does, you know, at some point in their life. I know there are
0: people who are asexual or whatever who don't engage in it, but we've got an incel episode written that's going to come out probably in November, so we'll find out about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good a good point. It's it, it is funny the things that we pick to censor and things that we deem okay for people to see. And it's not like it was when I was growing up because if I popped on channel 30 and they were showing a a scary movie or a, you know, a a dirty hairy movie or something like that, there would be stuff that was cut out of it. But now kids Mm. can go online and see anything at the click of a button, including real life murders you know i mean there's people that uh have like live streamed their murder spree on facebook so Mm. but anyway um yeah as far as friday the 13th i don't know of any stories where people like put on a hockey mask and went and hacked up a bunch of kids so to say that they inspired something because you watched it and because it was a murder what is it that you always say correlation doesn't mean causation
1: right yeah I think if anything like you're saying it it desensitizes people to it which I do believe is a problem like I don't Mm -hmm. think it inspires somebody who I don't think you take a peaceful person right and put them in front of a movie or a violent video game and they suddenly want to go kill people in real life but I think if you're somebody who's going to do that anyway And that movie or whatever doesn't serve as a like a release for you, then it might you might draw some kind of inspiration from it or you might choose just your disguise or some way to hide your crime from that.
0: And something that, you know, would immediately strike fear into people. That's why ninjas wore what they wore and why SWAT team wears what they wear. Uh, And I know that, yeah, SWAT team's going to wear night vision goggles. You know, Navy SEALs are going to wear night vision goggles. I'm talking about the all black, all you can see is the eyes. There's been scientific studies that say that gives you an extra second, one second of reaction time that it takes that person to process what they're seeing as opposed to just seeing, you know, a guy in a jacket and jeans. And... Mm. I mean, a second in a gunfight is life and death. Right. I love Joe Rogan's quote, and I don't know the exact quote, but basically he said, you know, it's funny that Hollywood does more to promote gun violence than any other thing in the world. But they're so against guns. It's like, yeah, you sit there and you promote all this violence watch this violent movie watch this violent movie and then say but you can't have guns it's like dude you're the one that's getting people hyped up about it all right you want to take us to the break
1: all right so we'll talk halloween right after the break Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie How on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else find podcasts are curated.
0: Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. <laughs> Tell us the untold story of the real person who inspired Halloween's Michael Myers. It involves a Kentucky college student, a mental
1: institution, and a 12-year-old boy with evil eyes. Michael Myers has been terrifying teen babysitters since the first Halloween film debuted in 1978. The mass killer stalks and knives and strangles and drowns and hangs and beats to death residents of the fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois, especially targeting high school students.
0: That's right by you, right? Haddonfield?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hypothetically.
0: <laughs> no, uh, it's funny. So we watched, uh, I, I let my 14 year old watch Halloween and she's almost 15. But, um, you know, like five minutes into the movie, she's like, <sighs> i get it a crazy guy in a mask with a knife scaring babysitters it's the same thing as every other horror movie and i'm like yeah but this came out in well it was 1978 and they kind of originated
1: yeah it's like this is the og
0: right so you know we we cut them cut them some slack um But this month, the iconic character returns to the big screen in Halloween, a direct sequel to the original film of the same name in the 11th installment in the Halloween franchise. And we were going to talk about the new movie, but Ryan hasn't had a chance to see it yet. So maybe we'll talk about it a little bit and uh, release a a mini-sode for Halloween, or maybe Hmm. Ryan and Joe will decide to cover it in Movie Hal, or maybe both. Who knows?
1: Maybe, yeah.
0: All right, tell us more about Michael Myers.
1: Myers has become one of the most recognizable masked killers, which is kind of ironic, in horror history, alongside villains like Ghostface and Scream, who was inspired by real life serial killer the Gainesville Ripper, and Leatherface and the Chainsaw Massacre, who was supposedly based on the Butcher of Plainfield.
0: So, the Butcher of Plainfield is Ed Gein. And if you don't know about this guy, he was a mama's boy like in Psycho and his mother died and he needed a way to stay close to her. So I believe he dug her body up after she was buried, skinned her and made things out of her like a lampshade Mm -hmm. and like a chair cover. And he ended up going on to dig up a bunch of bodies and he had like a skull ashtray that was made out of a real skull and an actual skin suit which a lot of people you know associate with uh buffalo bill it's mm-hmm. buffalo bill right yeah in uh, silence of the lambs and he eventually ended up getting caught because he uh, he went to a hardware store and it was known that he went to the hardware store where a woman disappeared and so police went to his house and no one answered, and so they went to a barn, and in the barn they found this woman dead and skinned. So this happened, I believe, in the 1950s in Wisconsin, so you can understand how that would be an inspiration for a movie. So that's Ed Gein. But is Michael Myers also rooted in reality? Tell us about it.
1: Well, the film's original director and co-writer, John Carpenter, says a creepy encounter he had while attending Western Kentucky University served as inspiration for the fictional character. I had a class, psychology or something, and we visited a mental institution. He says in a cut above the rest, the documentary on Halloween included in the DiviMax DVD from 2003. We visited the most serious, mentally ill patients. And there was this kid, he must have been 12 or 13, and he literally had this look. The look, says Carpenter, is best described by the lines he gave to Donald Pleasence, who played Myers' psychiatrist, Dr. Sam Loomis, in Halloween, and four of its sequels to describe Myers in the first film.
0: I met him 15 years ago. I I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil funny story i used to manage a couple different sam goodies and my district manager looked just like donald pleasance and uh he pissed me off one day and i was like shouldn't you be out chasing michael myers instead of being in here fucking with my store
1: <laughs> when carpenter was approached by film producer erwin yablantz With the idea to create a horror movie set on Halloween night about babysitters stalked by this psychotic killer, he thought back to the boy at the institution with the real evil stare. It was unsettling to me. It was like the creepiest thing I'd ever seen. It was completely insane. Multiple Halloween fan sites claim Myers could also, in part, be based on Stanley Steers, who went on a killing spree in Iowa in the 1920s, even murdering his entire family on Halloween. Carpenter makes no mention of Steers in a cut above the rest. He credits Yul Brynner's portrayal as a killer robot that couldn't be killed in the original 1973 Westworld film as additional inspiration for raising Michael Myers from just a character to a mythical status. Make him human, yes, but almost like a force that will never stop. That can't be denied, Carpenter says. Carpenter says he and Yablons fleshed out the character over tuna fish sandwiches one day. Tuna fish sandwiches barf tuna fish sandwiches scare me more than michael myers did you write that
0: line in? yes yes tuna fish sandwiches scare me more than michael myers yeah
1: tuna fish sandwiches smell like sewage to me
0: i realized that awful
1: that people have sort of a different um sort of configuration of mm-hmm. taste buds and like oh, okay. yeah the way their senses work so it probably doesn't smell that way to other people, but I know a lot of people who are like, no, that smells like a porta potty at a like an outdoor concert.
0: Dude, I can't eat and around it. Like if I go to Subway yeah. or something and then next table over is eating a tuna fish sandwich, I bounce. I'm out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we have this in common. <laughs> they chose the name Michael Myers in honor of the European distributor of Carpenter's previous film, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. They agreed on a $320,000 budget and recruited young, then-unknown actress Jamie Lee Curtis, daughter of Psycho star Janet Mm,
0: Janet
1: Janet Lee, to play high school student Laurie Strode. Myers is portrayed by Nick Castle for most of the film, with Tony Moran and Tommy Lee Wallace taking over in some of the final scenes. The film went on to gross $46 million at the U.S. box office, today it's estimated to be over $150 million, and spawned a 10-film franchise. Carpenter has never revealed additional information on the boy he encountered in Kentucky all those years ago, but it didn't matter for the infamous character he inspired. Michael Myers hasn't evolved as a character in any way, shape, or form since 1978. He's the essence of evil, according to David Gordon Green, who was speaking with the LA Times. He has no character, he has no personality, he has no interests, he never has. He's someone that is moving forward and reacting to the world around him, but not with any sort of conscious objective. And how the world around him reacts to his behavior is where our story comes to life.
0: What I think is awesome about Halloween Ends is, okay, so we can assume that, in 1978, when the film came out, and I know that like in Rob Zombie's Halloween, which is amazing, I, I love his so much more. But by the end of the film, we can say he's 18 to 20, right? We can agree on that. He's a grown man. Mm-hmm. Now, we're what, 44 years later? And he mm-hmm. acts like an octogenarian like the sit-up scenes they're a little bit more oh and he gets up off the floor and he's just like this old dude which i absolutely loved but anyway final thoughts on michael myers and halloween
1: i i my thought is it would be funny if that kid saw that like, and recognize that that was him. He was talking about the kid from the, the asylum with the look. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what, I ate Taco Bell that morning. I had an upset stomach. Like, that's what, like.
0: Somebody fed me tuna fish.
1: <clears throat> yeah, he's sitting at home with, like, his wife and kids. Having, like, an idyllic, like, breakfast. And they're watching this thing on TV about it. And he's like, what? <laughs> nice. Then he realizes they're talking about him. <laughs>
0: yeah. He's like, they thought that about me? Just because I had a blank look in my eyes i mean Mm -hmm. odds are he was juiced up on all kinds of meds too so that'll do something for your look so what franchise do you prefer do you think that uh friday the 13th or halloween is better
1: i don't know that's a it's a tough question i would say probably probably halloween agreed just, I mean, based on what I remember as a kid, like, that was the one that kind of affected me more.
0: You know what? Uh, where Michael Myers' mask came from?
1: Yes, I do. It was a Captain James Kirk mask painted <laughs> yep. white. Yep. Pretty, <laughs> because the, awesome. the direction just called for, like, general, nondescript, like, male features. Mm-hmm. So it was just, yeah. Captain Kirk. Yeah, and the screen mask was apparently just an off-the-shelf mask that I think the directors are... Or some like one of the producers maybe was like, "No, I don't like this at all." But they wound up they were like, "No, it has to be this."
0: Yeah. So you know, I love, short. I love the scream mask. I've actually got one on a uh, fake head right here, not a real head, fake head. Sure. On my desk. Um, I agree. I, I think that Michael Myers is is better, but. If you are looking for a bladed weapon, a machete is the best thing you can have. A lot of people talk about like, oh, I've got a samurai sword and stuff like that. And it's like, dude, I've got a samurai sword too. It is a different thing. You do not use a samurai sword the way you use a machete. You have to have skills to do it because it's a, it's like a swipe and slice. It's not a chop but a machete is weighted perfectly. And uh, I mean like MS-13 and gangs like that use it. They just, you know, one chop, you can take somebody's arm off mm. and all the, they all use and scream to, uh, they use these, you know, either a butcher knife from the kitchen, which is, you know, interesting. That's one of the, uh, first films, you know, the Halloween films that I actually saw where the guy you know took the weapon from the house or whatever, and then in Scream, it's just like a nondescript hunting knife. And in reality, when you use a knife like this, it, it's not meant for that. And you even with a you know a good hilt on it, you're still your hand's going to slide down. And it's just going to chop your fingers up and and be awful. So in my mind, if I was doing one of these movies, I would have had a scene where maybe the killer is inspired by the weapon and it's like a Mm -hmm. you know like an old Gurkha warrior knife or like a crambit knife like the Raptor Claw knife Mm -hmm. or something like that. But but other than that, yeah, Halloween is definitely better in my opinion. Who is your number one horror movie monster or villain? And this could be the alien from aliens or it could be You know, somebody who doesn't have supernatural powers or whatever.
1: I don't know. I don't know that any of my favorite
0: villains are
1: from horror movies. That's kind of a problem.
0: Okay. Um, Well, then just do horror movies, your favorite bad guy.
1: Like, favorite, totally favorite is probably Hans Landa from *Inglorious Bastards. Haven't seen it, but... Uh, Just because it's so... He's so charismatic Mm -hmm. And he's so like methodical and relaxed all the time. And he's just figuring stuff out. It's very, I don't know. It's, it's, and it's a fun movie, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a a history revision kind of thing about world war two. But I don't know. I was thinking about horror movies and I don't know. A lot of horror movies don't really give a lot for the villain
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or for the monster. Like there can be cool stuff, about it, like the transformations can be cool, or like the design could be cool, but mm-hmm. I don't know. The, the movie that I'm thinking of is so silly. It's uh, The Monster Squad. Have you ever seen that from like '87 ish?
0: Is it a, f- a film or an animation? No, it's live action. No, I haven't seen that one. So, the story is
1: about these kids in a town and it's like their daily life but they're they have this little club called the monster squad mm-hmm. and they somehow find out that like monsters are real yeah. and like dracula and frankenstein and the mummy are all really out there and there's there are just these scenes that are really good where there's there's a guy who he's the wolf man and okay. he's in the police station like one of the kids dads is a cop mm-hmm. so it's occasionally following like family members and stuff and the, The Wolfman, And this movie is almost more of a comedy in some ways, but it does have some kind of more serious moments. But one of them is that this guy is like confessing to these crimes and he's in the police station and he's like begging them to lock him up. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's a full moon. You have to lock me up. Like you, you have to keep people safe. Yeah. And then I think he winds up transform, like partially transforming in the, they're, they're just like, you know, you're just a lunatic. Get out of here. And I think he winds up killing a couple of the officers or there's a part where Dracula shows up and Dracula is very, you know, Bella Lugosi, Dracula. Yeah. He's got the Cape and, you know, he's dressed like an old count, but there's a point where the police realize that something's going on. They show up to this scene and Dracula is just walking down the middle of the street with all these police around coming at him, trying to hit him, like shooting at him. And he is just wrecking them. Yeah. And it's kind of fantastic. Cause it's like, it's like the you know what would happen if Dracula was just out in the open, yeah. As opposed to you know hiding and being part of like high society and trying to be secretive about what he's doing, it's like oh he would just wreck fools. That's what he would yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, because it's Dracula. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's silly, but that's one of the villains that I'm going for. That yeah, I think the way they portrayed him there is being you know kind of silly from the perspective of being out of time, but just like completely ruthless and yeah so i mean maybe dracula like across different movies or even nosferatu from back in the what like 28 or whenever that movie was made
0: (laughs) now have you seen morbius with jared leto
1: i have yes
0: (laughs) we did a i think we did
1: a movie owl episode about it did you what'd you guys think
0: pretty rough now go now go listen go listen to that podcast but just give me a a quick rundown of what you thought
1: uh, man I thought a lot of things it, it was just really rough it was uh it was hard to sit through like it was cut in such a strange way and uh, the motivation of the villain is never mm-hmm. it's not good yeah like I get that they're they they established something with the way that individual Some am trying not to spoil anything was treated as a kid. Yeah, You know, there are things that happened to him that kind of hardened him against the world. And once he has this advantage, he exploits it. And then Morbius has, you know, his sort of selflessness where he's like, no, this cure has turned me into a monster and I can't spread this and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I feel like they spent so little time developing the characters, especially the, his the love interest. Yeah. the Well, he, any of them, even Morbius, like we don't
0: really know him very well. Yeah, the villain was like five minutes. It's like, hey, we need a bad guy. Um, You come over here. You're going to be the bad guy. Yeah. And, and it's kind of sad because I think Jared Leto is an amazing actor. There's a possibility that it was shot at, you know, over a very long range of time. Because in some of the scenes, and it could be special effects, but Jared Leto is like, 80 pounds right mm-hmm. he looks like christian bale from the machinist right, and right. then you know after he does his thing then he's like buff right built like fucking van Dam.
1: and action
0: don't jamie Cut. did you just put the accent over the e oh you know like my accent Eh? You know like the friend? do Challenge me!
1: Alright, Stallone's up next. Let's go. I did not know this would be such a challenge.
0: <laughs> Jared Leto's, you know, probably one of these actors that can gain and lose weight easily, like Christian Bale. And we know they use steroids and HGH and stuff like that. But I do feel like Morbius was a cool character or is a yeah. New character yeah
1: I, I think there's a lot of potential there i like the character design some of the special effects i didn't love i don't understand the smoky like wispiness around him i don't know if that's a visual effect that's like for us or if that's really supposed to be happening or why it's the same color as his clothes or right like, I don't know what I'm looking at some of the time. I don't know why they made these choices that they made.
0: Yeah, they used too much. Like, you couldn't yes. see anything, and it's almost like they're just like, oh, we'll just put a puff of smoke there to cover up, and we won't have to do special effects for that. Probably, probably.
1: Yeah, I think there would have been a good movie if they had turned it into maybe two movies. Mm-hmm. Split it up, kind of an origin and then a conclusion. Mm-hmm. That could have been better because they could have built out a lot more of it, but it just went so quickly.
0: One of the things that I hate about horror movies is like, okay, so Michael Myers, yeah, he can get shot and keep coming back from it. And there's people, you know, that have been shot that get up and run away, you know, if they're on crystal meth or something like that. But when you get to the end of the movie and then this spirit slash demon Slash whatever is a fucking martial arts expert, and it ends up where like the end of it, like all of a sudden, oh, everybody's fucking doing Matrix moves now, mm. and yeah, just I hate that. But anyway, we digress. So, I think my favorite movie villain ever is the Joker in. You know, we don't really need to get into that. People know who it is. They know there's, you know, a hundred different Jokers with a hundred different backstories and stuff. But he's a very deep character. Mm -hmm. Just going for like visual effects and a cool kind of bad guy. I really liked the Tooth Fairy from Darkness Falls. Have you seen that movie? I haven't. I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I haven't seen it. So it's this woman who was, uh, I guess, a, accused... I haven't seen it in a long time, and it's an older movie. It's like 2009 or something like that. Uh, maybe even earlier than that. I got it on DVD. It wasn't even a Blu-ray yet. So mm. anyway, she turns into the Tooth Fairy, where if kids, you know, lose a tooth, boom, they put it in their wherever kids put their teeth nowadays. <laughs> Over 150? Ago, In the town of Darkness Falls, Matilda Dixon was adored by all the children. Whenever one of them lost a tooth, they would bring it to her in exchange for a gold coin, earning her the name The Tooth Fairy. But when two children didn't come home, they blamed Matilda, and they hanged her in the light. She
1: won't come in the light
0: the story is based on a guy who saw her but got away and now he runs around with flashlights and uh, all this stuff he can never be in the darkness and it's it's a cool movie if you haven't seen it darkness falls it's got to be available on streaming it was not a huge hit or anything like that it kind of flew under the radar but I really really liked the special effects like the tooth fairy would be floating and kind of pressed against the ceiling as she's going through this house and you know her dress looks like she's underwater or her cloak or whatever and she has to wear a porcelain white mask because you know her skin will just basically set on fire if she's in the light that's one worth checking out. Who's Who's the number one hero from a horror flick? Ellen oh, mm-hmm. Ripley.
1: I would say just because it's such that's an, from the
0: Alien movies. If you guys don't know,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it's such a non-obvious hero. Mm-hmm. And I've read that that was part of the the decision-making process when they were writing and casting everything. Like you want to have all these like big you know military dudes. And then have them all get killed off. And then it's Ripley who's left, who's like steps up. And I really like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just a more compelling story than most or more, more compelling turn for a character, Mm -hmm. like a development. I mean, it's almost like, uh, I guess you could say the same thing about Sarah Connor. Uh, what's she from? Terminator.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: I don't know if you'd consider Terminator a a horror movie. I, I don't think so, but.
0: I'd call it future history. (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i don't know it's it's kind of hard for me i do like laurie strode because she's just a normal badass chick and she doesn't start out that way but you know she develops into this hardened badass chick and i really like her obviously i mean it's a sci-fi movie but neo is obviously got to be up there for Mm. a hero yeah I do like the priest from the exorcist. He's kind of a different kind of priest, right? Like he's like, dude, I'm all about boxing. I'm all about physical fitness. I take care of my mom. I'm I smoke, I drink all that stuff. And then ends up sacrificing his life in the end, which I thought was a, the kind of priest you want. Mm. You want a normal guy, right? For your priest. You don't want a guy that's like holier than thou. Uh, you want a guy that has been, through the same shit you've been through a guy that is a regular guy so mm-hmm. those are my guys what's the worst horror movie you've ever seen there's so many there's a lot
1: yeah I want to say um, I want to say Morbius
0: but really? it's not really a
1: horror movie nah, I mean not really I think one of the I think one of the best and worst horror movies I've seen all-in-one is... Uh, oh, God, what's it called? House on Haunted Hill?
0: Is it the one the that remake, they...
1: The remake, the newer one with, okay. like, Jeffrey Rush and yeah. whoever else. They, they... I think even Chris Kattan was in that, and he's, like, the caretaker of the house.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but there Terrible are a couple choice. scenes that, that are really, really good. Like, there's mm-hmm. a scene where they're walking through the house because they're there for, like, a party or whatever you know, some rich people and their guests. Mm -hmm. And there's a point where a couple of them are walking through this old asylum or whatever. And they do, Mm -hmm. you know, a decent job of giving you some exposition on what the history of the place was, you know, that there was this doctor conducting these like horrific experiments and killing people and all this stuff. And there's Mm -hmm. a point where they walk into this room and the girl, the main girl that you're seeing it from at this point is looking through the screen of her camera. So that's what you're seeing. Right. And she sees like a guy strapped to a table, like gagged, but you can hear that he's like trying to scream. And the doctors, like the doctor and the nurse are leaning over him and like starting to cut into him as he's like writhing on the table. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, the camera, like, she, her perspective shifts from like looking at the camera screen to like kind of looking up and over it. Mm-hmm. And the room is empty. And she looks back and that's still happening. The sound is still coming through the camera. And suddenly and very slowly, the doctor and nurse both just turn and look. And it's so goddamn creepy. And I love it. There are a couple things like that in that movie that are so creepy. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that movie, apart from Chris Kattan,
0: mm-hmm. is
1: that at the end, it just evolves into this awful, like, goosebump style. Mm-hmm. You know, the monster's just out yeah. Like the main thing is just out and coming at them and they have like a chance to get out and escape and everything's going to be okay if they can just do this one thing. I don't know, it just takes like all this really slow good build up and just wastes it yeah. so quickly.
0: So there are apps that you can get on Roku and some of them are just like all horror movies and mm. there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of <laughs> horror movies that I, I guess that there is a group of people who just love corny horror flicks like Killer mm. Clowns from Outer Space and stuff like that. That it's yeah. it's so hard to pick one as the worst. Um, well, the reason for my worst
1: one is... It had so much potential.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, it fell so far in the third act. It's just... It's that much worse.
0: All right. Uh, best Mask. Can be from horror movie, action movie, whatever. Best Mask. I would say... I feel like I'm
1: stealing from you because we talked about this earlier before we recorded, but Rorschach's Mask. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Because I love the Watchmen graphic novel. I really like the the like director's cut. Of the movie, mm-hmm. I thought they did a decent job, mm-hmm. and I thought they yeah, I thought the the mask was really cool.
0: For me, I really like the immortal mask from Three Hundred, the mm-hmm. kind of um, I guess it's like the Syrian Empire or
1: mm-hmm. the
0: Ottomans that are coming to attack, and they all think have these. I
1: think it's Persians, but I I don't know it, for sure.
0: The the mask is essentially a, a scary silver mask with kind of a demonic expression mm-hmm. and everybody's wearing them. They they remind me of the old like samurai demon masks and right, I thought yes. those were really cool and then um, I don't know if you know who MF Doom is. He's a rapper, was a rapper, passed away uh, God rest his soul. He um, had a mask that he wore that was a Roman Centurion mask and if you if you just google mf doom mask you'll see what it is but it's a it's a really cool mask it's a metal face mask that covers your nose your head uh it's got like a brow that comes out to protect your eyes if you know you're getting hit with something and really cool mask but Mm. yeah so uh do you want to do best worst halloween costume there's so many stupid ones out there it's almost not worth it you mean just stuff that i see yeah like like what's the best Halloween costume you've seen someone have?
1: I don't know. I've seen some really good like cosplay type stuff where people have made their own like Batman suit that looks just like the one Ben Affleck wore or something like that. yeah, I think there are so many good ones
0: and I don't mean the ones from like you know comic con where people spend ten thousand dollars and have robotic parts and you know fog machines built in and stuff like that. I just mean like you know something you've seen around And don't say the Bigfoot costume From the Patterson-Gimlin film Or we will not be friends <laughs> Uh god I don't know man
1: I've seen a lot of really good costumes I think any costume that like brings your pet into it Oh yeah Is really good um, A friend of mine is planning to dress up this year As Belle From Beauty and the Beast Uh huh and she's going to dress her dog up as the beast. She's a that's great cool. Dane. And he's that's massive. And she's going to try to like put him in this coat and everything.
0: <laughs> I think that's going to be really cool. I did that with my daughter one year in a uh, Bigfoot costume. And she dressed up as Belle. And I carried her around <laughs> in her little costume. It was really cute. But my little dog, my little four-pounder, uh, they went and got a costume for her. And they had, she's so little, they had to get a ferret costume. But for whatever reason, they picked a lobster. And so she's going to be a little lobster. And my youngest daughter, which is, you know, her mom, her owner, basically, we were discussing what she was going to be. And I'm like, dude, you should totally be a chef and carry the dog around with you. That would be awesome. <laughs> for me, uh, I had a Halloween party one year at my house and you know it was me me and three roommates lived there and you know we put the word out and we're like listen you're not getting in unless you're wearing a costume i don't give a shit who you are you're not getting in and one of my buddies was like come on man come on man i'm like nope if you're coming you're bringing a costume i don't give a shit what you are you can you know wrap yourself up in toilet paper and be the mummy or whatever and this dude rolls in he's got a big cardboard box like over his head and the front is cut out with like two circles and it just said mobile mammogram station on it (laughs) and i was like dude you win the contest see you didn't even want to dress up and you had the best damn costume in the whole house (laughs) and uh one of the girls that came came as one of the austin powers chicks that uh she had uh gun barrels on her nipples oh the fan box cool. yeah 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 so that was cool too but yeah that's pretty good i think i think the like
1: sexy costumes i'm tired mm. of mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like sexy dentist sexy right nurse sexy whatever like it's just it's lazy it, it just is. feels lazy to me
0: well and it's it's cute for you know young ladies or whatever but it's also you know i'm not some big feminist or whatever but like why does every female costume have to show ass tits and vagina i mean it's all smut and you're right it's not creative at all and it's it's just a shame in reality i mean if you've ever bought a halloween costume you know that they're all two sizes too small like you have to get a huge size for what you would normally wear for it to fit because they're all they want to use the cheapest amount of fabric they can and they're all skanky. So, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. A lot of clothes you get depending on where they're from are like that. I bought a Dragon Ball track jacket that may explain where you've been for all of this time, but there's still a few things I'd like to
0: know. For starters, where in the world did you get that absurd looking outfit? It's the latest fashion on planet Yardrith, but I guess it does look a little strange. But at least it's not pink.
1: So I bought some weird stuff. And one of the things was this jacket, and it's like, okay, it's coming from China, so I'm going to order, like, the biggest size I can. I'm going to order, like, a 3 or 4X or something like that. And it showed up, and it was so small. The only person I could give it to was this little Vietnamese girl (laughs) that I worked with at the time. I was like, hey, (laughs) like, can you can you wear this? And she tried it and she was like, oh yeah, this fits perfectly. Yeah. I was like, what size do you normally wear? And she's like, small or extra small. She's mm-hmm. like, it's really hard in American sizes. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there you go. I was like, that's, that's like a Chinese three X, but you can have it if you want it.
0: Shoot us an email with your picks at crypticpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com. We'll talk about the true story of screen in the after party after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So the horrific true story behind Scream, how the Gainesville Ripper haunted a whole college town. Some real-life crimes are as nasty as anything the most
1: imaginative storyteller could dream up. In Kevin Williamson's case, it was one of those especially haunting cases that planted the seed that became his script for Scream. The hit 1996 teen slasher flick that liberally sprinkled the old horror tropes with comedy and meta-commentary on the genre itself. The Wes Craven-directed blockbuster starring Neve Campbell, Nef Courtney Cox, Campbell. whatever, and David Arquette's <laughs> on a now five-film franchise with It's Been Long Enough, So We'll Call It Scream Again. <laughs> it's so true. And what's scarier than gruesome, psychotic movie behavior that's rooted in reality? Though the characters and setting for the woodsboro murders were all his own williamson's creativity is said to have been piqued by a 1994 episode of abc news turning point about the serial killer dubbed the gainesville ripper that may feel like ancient history now the original scream is 25 years old when the show aired danny rawling had just been sentenced to death for his grisly murder spree what is it that makes someone able to descend into such inhumanity Asked former Florida State Senator Rod Smith, the prosecutor who secured a death sentence for Rawling. Discovery Plus special Scream, the true story, delves into the possible driving forces behind the killer's unfathomable acts.
0: And I want to jump in here real quick. I tried to watch that last night, and it starts off with a paranormal investigator and a psychic. And I'm like, come on, man. This is not the true story of Scream. The true story of Scream is Daniel Rawling. And you're bringing in a paranormal investigator and a psychic saying like, oh, there's this here. And then he's still present over here. Come on, man. Just tell me the fucking true story. Right.
1: Though it took months to find him. It took just a glance at the first crime scene for authorities to know they had a monster on their hands. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that anybody that commits homicide using mutilation is a pretty sick individual, and it's somebody we want to get off the streets very badly. Alachua County Sheriff's Department spokesman Spencer Mann told the Washington Post in August 1990 the discovery of five bodies in three days already attracting national attention. The first gruesome scene was uncovered on Sunday, August 26th, after Christina P. Powell's parents, unable to reach her on the phone, showed up at the off-campus apartment complex where their 17-year-old daughter lived with fellow University of Florida freshman 18-year-old Sonia Larson. Classes were scheduled to begin the next day. When no one answered the door either, they asked the maintenance worker to let them in, but the building manager said they should wait for police to arrive. When the officer went in, I followed him in the apartment, and I saw the young lady on the bed, and I just turned around and walked out. Betty Kernett, the manager, recalled to ABC News in 2020, my maintenance man, unfortunately, ran
0: down the stairs screaming, Oh my God, and came out and threw up. He hasn't been watching enough, uh, enough of these crazy video games, apparently. Right.
1: And the sad, sad part about it is that we had the parents behind us on the stairs. Paula had been raped and stabbed to death, her mutilated, partially clothed body lying on the living room floor. Larson was on an upstairs bedroom, nude, lying back on the bed with her feet on the floor and her hair fanned out journalist John Donnelly, who covered the story for the Miami Herald, told ABC News. There was evidence that both girls had been bound with duct tape at some point, but the killer who wedged a screwdriver into the front door jam to break in had taken it
0: with him. So, how long had they been dead? Investigators guessed they had likely been dead between 48 and 72 hours when they were found. Eight hours later, on the morning of Monday, August 27th, Sheriff's deputies found 18-year-old Krista Late Hoyt dead in her apartment about two miles away from the first crime scene after the Santa Fe Community College student and aspiring law enforcement officer didn't show up for her midnight shift at the county sheriff's office where she was a part-time records clerk. The scene was chillingly similar, but Hoyt had been decapitated as well as stabbed, sexually assaulted, mutilated, and posed, lying on the bed with her feet on the floor. So that's a signature. If you find two bodies, you know, in, in a close radius that have the same wounds and the same body positioning, then they know for sure it's, you know, the same guy. The first deputies at the scene were also her friends from work. These police officers knew Krista, her stepmother Diana Hoyt told ABC News. They told her dad, Gary, she died right away from the first stab, which was the truth, but there were many hours before that. Tracy Pauls and Manuel Taboda, both 23 and friends since high school, were found dead in a ground floor unit at the Gatorwood Apartments, another student-friendly complex, on the morning of Tuesday, August 28th. Defensive wounds indicated that Taboda, who was enrolled at Santa Fe City College, had tried to fight the killer off before he was stabbed to death. Pauls, a pre-law senior majoring in political science at the University of Florida, was posed on the living room floor. She had been raped and there were traces of tape on her wrists and mouth as well as soap on her lower body, presumably to wash away any evidence. We have every reason to believe the murders are probably all connected to one or two suspects, Gainesville Police Chief Waylon Clifton told reporters. Who did it remind people of? Anyone who'd been around then couldn't
1: help but think about serial killer Ted Bundy, whose cross-country reign of terror only came to an end after he'd beaten two Florida State University sorority sisters to death and killed a 12-year-old girl in the course of a month in 1978. That's what we're all saying. It's another Ted Bundy on the loose, Jana Walker's an 18-year-old UF freshman told the Washington Post. Some sicko. Authorities tried to reassure the thousands of UF Gators and other residents of the city, known for its raucous college scene, but also heralded by Money Magazine earlier that year as the number 13 best city to live in the country, that there was no reason to panic. Still, countless freaked out students left town. The university extended the deadline to add and drop classes to September 7th, postponed tuition due dates, and offered off-campus residents a chance to move, at least temporarily, into a dorm where there was increased security. UF Student Nighttime Auxiliary Patrol recruited dozens of new volunteers, and Santa Fe Community College instituted its own campus security program. Students could also call home from school using several new toll-free hotlines rather than pay expensive long-distance charges. And so the most terrifying fall semester ever began. Detectives on the hunt for a serial killer and students afraid to go anywhere alone, or be home alone, or sleep through the night. Every strange noise prompted a call to the police. Some young women started keeping steak knives by their beds. Gun and mace sales went up. People wondered if there wasn't one but two killers on the loose, figuring all that carnage probably couldn't be the work of just one person. There was no precedent for this scale of tragedy, at least in my experience. Art Sandine, vice president of student affairs at the time, told the Gainesville Sun in 2005. Parents and students didn't know what to do. A double murder occurred in early September in Melrose, Florida, about 17 miles away. Unrelated, but it scared the crap out of everybody all the same. In 2010, Gainesville attorney Rod Smith said, It would be hard to replicate today how out of hand it got for a few days. And in the days, weeks, and months after Larson, Powell, Hoyt, Pauls, and Taboda were killed, everyone was a suspect as law enforcement from all over Florida swarmed the city.
0: In the space of three days, we have five students dead. The serial killer is on the loose. There are now more than 100 law enforcement officers working in search of a serial killer. The
1: one piece of evidence, this audio cassette that changed everything. The killer singing hauntingly, revealing his story.
0: It's eerie because you know what he's talking about. This man was just pure evil.
1: Well, not everyone. But a later tally put the number of names on the investigators' radar at one time or another at 675.
0: That would be hard to investigate that many people. Yeah. We see police task forces set up and stuff like that, but I I mean, that's just... It's so much to sift through, and it takes time. Even if you had... 675 investigators on the case, it would still take them a few days, maybe a week, to go through and clear these people or, you know, try and place them at the scene or whatever. So it's crazy. Mm-hmm. A multi agency
1: task force conducted hundreds of interviews, sifted through 18,000 pieces of evidence, ran DNA samples, and tracked the flood of tips phoned in by those who were sure they had crossed paths with the killer. Some investigators thought they had two, naming a suspect barely 48 hours after the last two bodies were found, an 18-year-old UF freshman who had been seen wearing fatigues and walking around campus in the middle of the night with a hunting knife. It wasn't until January of 1991 that Danny Rawling, a 37-year-old drifter and career criminal from Louisiana, already a person of interest in the 1989 triple murder, popped up on their radar. And it wouldn't be several more months before it was publicly known that there was a prime suspect. But at least authorities had no trouble finding him as he was already in jail he was found guilty and died via lethal injection in 2006.
0: adios amigo i'm not a big proponent of the death penalty because there's a lot of cases where i think people are wrongfully convicted right in this case i, I mean the evidence was overwhelming and i know it cost the state more to you know, put someone to death than it does to keep them in prison just based on all the you know, the court time and appeals and stuff like that. But, you know, if somebody deserved it, well, Ted Bundy, Danny Rowling, I mean, you're not gonna be able to rehabilitate somebody who rapes, mutilates, tortures, decapitates. You're not gonna be able to rehab that person. They're never going to be safe to be on the streets and they're probably not safe in prison either uh, as far as, you know, killing other inmates. So, and I know people are like, well, fuck the other inmates. They're in prison too. And it's like, well, dude, this guy could have gotten busted selling weed. He doesn't need to be killed by somebody in prison. Right. Anyway, final thoughts.
1: Kind of in the mood for a horror movie now. Hmm. You know, I think my, uh, One of my favorite horror movies is probably, unfortunately, one of the scarier ones I've seen. Mm -hmm. Kim does not watch horror movies, but she agreed to watch one with me. So I had her watch The Fourth Kind, Mm. which is really freaky, particularly because
0: it's all based on things that have actually happened. The one where he was abducted by aliens? Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, it's a movie from 2009 with uh, Mia Jovovich and a bunch of other people but they they're they're all like it starts off with them saying you know I'm this person I'm playing this person I am actress Mila Jovovich and I will be portraying Dr Abigail Tyler this film is a dramatization of events that occurred October 2000
0: every scene in this movie is supported by archive footage some of what you're about to see is extremely disturbing I wake up in the middle of the night almost every night. And there's nothing unusual waking you up. There's one thing. There's an owl at my window. An owl. I size as a pig.
1: A white owl just looking at me. Had you ever seen it before, Tommy?
0: When I was a kid, just staring at me.
1: Like, we'll put the reenactment side by side with real footage or real audio from the events where people are going under hypnosis and like remembering things that happened to them and freaking out. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a really rough movie to, to watch from that perspective. If you really believe that that stuff was happening and it freaked him out really bad for a couple months, but I've never gotten her to watch a movie with me again like that. But I did notice that there's like, I don't know if it's crackle or film rise, but you're talking about stuff on Roku. I, Mm. I have had, Apple TVs and Google Chromecast, whatever they call it now, because they're terrible at naming stuff. Mm-hmm. But I prefer Roku because there are so many streaming services available for it.
0: Uh-huh. And I, I
1: have seen a couple, you know, where it's like film rise horror mm-hmm. or like yeah. film rise comedy or crackle or, or whatever other service. But like it's a specific version of the app that focuses on one genre.
0: Yeah, no, that is a scary movie. I, I just looked it up. I do remember it now with the owls. Mm-hmm. Good stuff.
1: Yeah, I actually think about it with my dog, Curly, every once in a while. Because he'll just like, you know, I'll get up in the middle of the night and go into the bathroom to pee and I don't bother closing the door. And I'll look down the hall and he's just like, you know, got out of bed and came to see what i was doing presumably but he's just standing there with like his big black reflective eyes (laughs) it's like what
0: what's going on buddy and he just looked at me it's like it's like why aren't you lifting your leg yeah like you're
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like that there's an episode of rick and morty where they put this helmet on their dog or somebody puts a helmet on the dog that makes it really smart And the dog comes into like the daughter's room, Summer's room in the middle of the night. And she's like, he's like, where are my testicles, Summer? They have been removed. Where are they? (laughs) And he's like realizing how he's been treated as a dog. But yeah, I'll be like, hey man, are you, are you okay? And if he just stands there, I'm like, are you a screen memory right now? (laughs) Like
0: get over here so I know you're real. That's pretty cool. I, I think that the scream movie was probably more based in reality than the others. I don't know that I can consider, you know, like the Lake Bodom murders as an inspiration because, you know, it's kind of like vaguely similar, Mm. but it's not like a documentary. Right. Well, that's all we've got for you tonight on Cryptique. Thanks for listening. Ryan, tell them what they need to know again. Tonight, we want you to tell a friend,
1: just share the podcast with someone, Everyone likes scary movies on Halloween, right? Right.
0: So, like we said, just share the podcast. Just click that share button and, you know, send this to your friends and your enemies because it's pretty scary. (laughs) Our pronunciations definitely are. Yes. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. And stay tuned to Cryptique to hear about shadow people incels the port lock bigfoot attacks we have all this coming up in the future so stay tuned and we'll talk to you soon